Eschol because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they turned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, and, and they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Amen. So in other words, it's everything that God said, right? There it is. It's everything God said. Now look at the next verse. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are what? Strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of Jordan. Then Caleb, um, Caleb quieted the people. In other words, he said, please uh, shut up. And before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Wow. And then they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. It sounded to me they, they were doing pretty good there. Isn't it amazing how we get things turned around, talk ourselves out of it? Devour the, its inhabitants, and all the people whom saw it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. Amen? Descendants of Anak came from the giant, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we weren't there. Now, if you get this tonight, when Israel was moving forward, going in to possess the promises of God and the purpose of God in their life, they encountered giants between them and their promise in God. And you and I, when we're walking with God and we're pursuing God, we're going to encounter giants or there's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that look stronger than you are. Are you with me? Yeah. But we always have a choice. We either have a choice to believe God and to believe His Word and keep moving forward or to do what Israel did. Because what they did is that they turned back. And as soon as they turned back, they found out that there were no giants. There were giants, but Joshua and Caleb told them, we're able to go up and possess. And that's the thing you have to keep in mind. When God's Word declares it, never give up. Too many times we miss out on the promise because we start considering the size of the opposition instead of keeping our eyes focused on God who is greater than all things. Amen? Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to another passage of Scripture. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. See, giants stand for great difficulty. And giants are stalking everywhere. They are in our families, in our churches, in our social life, in our own hearts. And we must overcome them or they will eat us up as these men of old set up the giant. These giants are going to devour us. They're going to destroy us. But I want you to hear this statement. This is such a powerful statement. The men of faith said, they are bread for us. Caleb said, hey, they are bread for us. And you have to learn to eat the bread of adversity. How many know you eat and what you take in becomes nutrient for you? And, and, and if you eat properly food, you eat food, and when you eat it, it's supposed to make you stronger. It gives you strength. Caleb said, hey, this adversity is bread for us, and we're going to devour them, and in doing so, we're going to become stronger. So when you see adversity, adversity is the bread of champions. Hallelujah. And so we grab a hold of that and we want to turn adversity into the bread that makes us stronger. Or in other words, Caleb actually said, we will be stronger by overcoming them than if there had been no giants to overcome. See, you're not going to go. If you go down to the gym, you find out we have weights there. And the purpose of weights is that you lift and you're lifting and weights provide resistance to you being able to lift. Well, you can airlift. You can do whatever you want. But if there's no resistance, there'll be no growth. 
And so there has to be resistance. And if you want to get stronger, you have to increase the amount of resistance that you're working with. Are you with me? That just has to be that way. And so in life and in our walk with God, there should be something left that if we're men and women of faith and we understand how God's grace works in our life and how he equips it, we should be excited about adversity. Not giving into it, because what they did, as I said, oh, there's giant. And then what they do, they turn around and they go back to the wilderness. It's amazing. When you go back to the wilderness, you find out there's no giants in the wilderness. Because there's nothing there to possess. So you can live your life peacefully in the wilderness, but you're never going to possess your promise and you're never going to fulfill your purpose. And that's sad. It's sad that we would allow a, 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 a lying adversary. And that's what it is. It's a strong opposition. But it's not stronger than God. And if God is pushing us, we're moving forward. Then we have to be confident that God will always deliver us. Amen? So when we pull back from purpose, we can find out that there's no giant. But we too will wander in the wilderness and never receive our promise. I found a quote by A.B. Simpson that said this. He said, as the dew never falls on a stormy night, so the dew of, of his grace never comes to a restless soul. Wow. So the dew of God's grace... Doesn't come if we're restless, if we're fearful, if we're, if we're in turmoil, and that we lose our peace. It only comes when we learn how to rest in His promise. And adversity always wants to get us upset, get us stirred up, and concerned about everything. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter four. See, there, there's an area, and there's a prevalent thought today that says this. It says that the power of God in a human life should lift us above trials and conflicts. Wouldn't it be great if God's power living in our life just lifted us above every trial and every conflict? We just wouldn't have to face more. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that isn't the way it works. Usually when the power of God is being made manifest in our life, it comes with conflicts. Amen. You, you read the, the book of Acts and you get in there. These guys just walk. Stephen just walking around being a man of faith, full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost and doing signs and wonders amongst the people. Next thing you know, he's in a conflict and he's being martyred just for doing good things and having the power of God work through his life. The Apostle Paul, every time he went and started delivering people and healing people and doing miracles. Next thing you know, he's in a conflict just for having the power of God work through his life. And so there's giants everywhere. If you're going to walk in purpose and move towards a promise, we're going to have to deal with them. Are you with me? Amen. So if you think about it, then we understand that when the power of God works in our life, it always brings conflict. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 7. Paul says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Wow. So God gives us this great treasure of this life that we have of Christ in us. And so we have his power in us that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so when you're up against an adversity, how do we know it's going to take greater power than what you have to overcome it? And God always leads his people in a way that he gets glory for how he leads us. That makes sense? God works in our lives. He says, I will lead you in a way that my leading you will cause me to get glory through your life. He, he makes himself known by working through our life. So what's he do? He brings us to walls of adversity. He brings us to challenge. And he says, trust me, I will get you through this. That's right. Amen. And then he shows up and we're standing there. And while you're standing there, it's kind of like marching around the walls of Jericho. People are looking at you. It doesn't make any sense to march around the wall. But God said he'd given us the city. I've given you a city. I've given you the land. Well, how are you going to take it? Here's what you're going to do. You're just going to march around it. And I'm going to give it to you. Because if you destroy it, then you can say, hey, look at this city we conquered. But when you're walking with God, there's a thing that he's asking you to do. And we're just obedient to that. Then his power shows up and he gets the glory. And so we learn that we want to see him glorified through our life. Look what Paul says there. He says, we are hard pressed. On every side, yet not crushed. This is Paul de de declaring the giants that he faced. 
We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. Now what? God preserves us when we're under trials. He always preserves us when we're under trials. Always. His grace is a preserving factor in our life. Do you believe that? So he always does that. And so Paul goes, man, we got this this amazing treasure in these earthen vessels. And then after he says that, he goes on to talk about this persecution. So look at these three things that he said, first of all, in verse 7. We have a treasure. Just look at your neighbor and tell him, you have a treasure. You have the treasure of the life of God on the inside. Hear that. You have the treasure of the life of God. You're going to see this when we get to point number five here in a moment. But his life is a treasure inside of you. It is his life. When Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And that's where we miss it. See, Christianity is where we come in and, and, and we die to ourselves and we live unto God. And, and we're allowing his life to be lived through it. We're recipients of his life. And then his life is lived through us. And when he's living his life, then the fullness of his power and his grace is working in us. Hallelujah. And then he says, it's in these earthen, fragile vessels. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. So God puts this amazing power in frail vessels. And so what happens with that, we we get caught trying to figure, wait a minute, and it's easy for us to consider how fragile our vessel is and forget how great his power is. Are you with me? So we have this great treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel, but it's too easy for us. Everything about our life wants us to focus on our vessel. Everything around you is concerned about you preserving your vessel. Amen. Amen. And so the more vessel-oriented we get, the less powerful we are. Because the more we consider ourselves, the less we're considering the treasure. Are you with me? And So sometimes we just need to make that little shift and start thinking about the power and not about the frailty. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. And then thirdly, we can be preserved only by God's power and His grace, not our own. So in that, we have this great treasure. It's in this earthen vessel. The only way to protect this vessel is knowing that his power is able to preserve me. Amen? So look what Paul said. Watch this. Let's walk through this and see what he says. Now let me just kind of give you this thought. See, pursuing the purpose and promise of God does not come without struggle. But yet we're equipped with His grace. And we've just been talking about grace from a whole bunch of different angles. But I want you to see it. This is really Paul, and we're going to see it. He referenced it here in a moment. But this is grace working in our life. God's grace is His power working through us. And when we say yes to His life, He leads us. And the purpose of His grace is the grace in Christ is our salvation. The grace of God working in Christ produced our salvation in him but the grace of God working in us is to produce salvation in others so that this gift this message can reach others and so grace works in us but it also works through us for the benefit of others are you with me And so when we understand that, and so when we yield to God's grace working through us for the benefit of others, then we begin to find ourselves in some conflict. And so then what the devil says, hey, you can avoid this conflict. Just go home and be a good Christian to yourself. Just work out your own little salvation, take care of yourself, and you never have to have any conflict. There, there, there are Christians all over, there are Christians all over in El Dorado County who, because of conflict, have gone home just to take care of their own salvation. They don't want to be involved in church. They don't want to be involved with people. They don't want to be involved in, in problems or conflicts or struggles or trials or, or anything hard. It's just, it's much easier for me 
to stay home and take care of myself. Okay, but you have no power working in your life. You're trying to protect your little earthen vessel. And so as long as I'm concerned about the, how fragile my vessel is and how fragile my emotions are, my feelings are, I'll never see the power of God, of His grace worked in my life. But if I can say, hey, I try, and I want to see His power, and if I will let His power work through me and believe that He has enough grace to get me through any conflict, then He can use me to bring His salvation to others. Because the only way God has for reaching people is through us. And we have to have enough faith to get through. Listen, it's the same principle as what God said to Joshua. He said, Joshua, get up. You're going to be a leader because you're going to cause these people to inherit their promise. You will lead. And by my working in your life, you will cause others to inherit. And thank God we have our inheritance. But how many know that there were two tribes who wanted to stay on the other side? We'll take our inheritance. Dan and, and, and I think Ephraim and Master wanted to stay on the other side over there. One of the half-tribes of Joseph said, we want to stay over here. We like this side of the Jordan. And, and, and the word of the Lord was, okay, this is your land, but you're not staying here. You leave your families here, and you're going to go in, and you're going to fight till everybody gets theirs. You're not allowed to camp over here and send the ten tribes in to get there because there was a fight that got you to here and the whole nation came together to here. So you don't get to pick out your spot here and let everybody else go on in their battle. You're going to be in the battle and then after everybody has received their, you can come back home with your family. Are you with me? And so the same thing in the body of Christ. Once I get saved, it's not just enough for me to come back in there. But, but see, with that, when I start helping, I'm in a battle of conquering giants, of dealing with conflict and, and fighting through struggle. And so in our life, there, there, there's that struggle that comes up. But we're grace to do it. Paul says we have this great treasure in this earthen vessel. So Paul declares there's an endless struggle, as we just read, yet there is a surpassing grace that enabled him to endure and overcome it all. That through, that though he was pressed bodily, soul, in, in his body and in his soul, he always came out triumphant in spirit. Amen. Okay. People go, well, you know what? I've just been in the battle. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Wouldn't it be great if we just decided to glory in tribulation? Amen. Watch this. Proverbs 12, 24 and verse 10, I believe, says it like this. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength was small. Amen. And so adversity is the breakfast and the bread of champions. Amen. And we just rise up and we understand. Yeah. So Paul's going, look, he begins to declare, declare all these things. So let's just watch five levels. Watch this. In these next couple of verses, five things that he said. Look at verse eight. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. What does that say? He says, we're crowding, we're being crowded in on every side by enemies, yet not being crushed. Why? But how many know the Bible says that he's given his angels charge over us? And angels are ministering spirits on the earth of salvation. What does that mean? It's amazing how when you're walking with God and you're walking in his grace and his grace is working through you, the angels always seem to create just enough of a path for us to make it through. It feels like we're being crushed, but there's just enough path to make it through and make a way of escape. Paul said, there's no temptation that has overtaken you except it's common to man. And God, with the temptation, will always make a way of escape. Yep. Amen? Isn't that good? So watch it. There will always be a clear path of escape. Secondly, he said, look at the second thing. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. So there's a succession. It's not getting better. It's getting tougher. So we started out being pressed. Now we're perplexed. What does that mean? It means when our way seems utterly closed. And yet we can press through. It seems like that. It doesn't even look like there's a path there by the angel. But when you press, you make it through. What does that mean? That means there's just enough light for the next step. I read a statement the other day about it, and somebody was saying when it comes to walking by faith, we, we always want God to show us the whole bridge over the canyon. Yeah. And he just shows you that the next step is there. 
And then you have to, by faith, you just have to step out and take the next step. And then the next step. Oh God, just show me the whole bridge. No. Because what happens is sometimes it's called a walk by faith, not a run by faith. And see, we'll get out there and we'll walk. How many of you have seen that video of the people on the glass bridge? Have you seen that on Facebook or anywhere, those videos out there? They, they have this, somewhere in Asia or someplace, they have this glass suspension bridge, a glass bottom bridge over this thing. And people get out on it and they're afraid of heights and stuff. I'm going to take Eli there. And they're afraid of heights. And, and you see people and they're down and they're crawling and they're, they're crying. They're hanging on the edge and going along and everything else. And, ah! Because... They're walking on plexiglass, and it's all, people are walking right by them, going by, and they're sitting down, crying. They, they had one of a dog, and this guy's dragging a dog. Dog sprawled out on all four, going, no! <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. But see, faith is kind of like that. It's walking on what doesn't seem to be able to sustain you. It's walking and believing you'll stand with no visible means of support. That's there supporting you. And so there's just enough light for the next step, not the whole journey. See, we want to know, Lord, what's the whole journey? No, just enough for the next step. Okay, I'll take the next step. I believe I have a treasure in this earthen vessel. And you know my vessel is earthen. You know my life is fragile. But you put your power in me. And if I will trust your power to preserve my vessel, you will always be there. Amen? So good. Watch that. So he says that we're perplexed but not in despair. One person said it like this. We are without a way but not without a byway. It means we can't see a way but there is that other way. Thirdly, look at this. So not only here we are hard pressed and then we're perplexed but not in despair and then nine were persecuted but not forsaken. So in other words, the enemy is persecuting us. He is in hot pursuit. And it seems like the defender is standing there alongside and maybe not doing anything. But we are pursued and persecuted, but we are not abandoned. Amen? He's with there with us all the time. But then it seems like number four, it seems like it may even get a little bit worse. Because look at what he said. We're persecuted and not forsaken. God is there. The defender is there with it. He has not forsaken. But then he says, we are struck down, but not destroyed. God, I thought you were getting us out. I thought we were doing it. But then, and, and if you read, if you go on, you keep reading 2 Corinthians and you get to chapter 11 and Paul starts reading his pedigree for apostleship, you go, man. How many times he was beaten? How many times he was shipwrecked? How many times he was in prison? And yet God's grace was all there. And God delivered them out of them all. That's right. Amen. Watch it. So here he is. It becomes even more dramatic. The enemy has overtaken him, struck him, and knocked him down. But, he is, but it is not a fatal blow. And he rises again. Paul says, I'm struck down, but I get back up. Think about that. Think about, I can't imagine being stoned and being left for dead. Paul was struck down, literally stoned and left for dead. Are you catching this? Yeah. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? If Paul, if this is his declaration of the power of God's grace working in his life, And how much more should we have faith and confidence in the grace of God in our lives? I'm just trying to tell you tonight, you have more help than you realize. You may feel like, man, my earthen vessel is about ready to shatter into a thousand pieces. I feel like Humpty Dumpty. Hey, man, I've been dropped and they're all the king's horse and all the king's men are not going to put my life back together again. But God's grace is greater, amen, than your adversity. Hallelujah. Look what he says. We are struck down. Get it again. We are struck down, but not destroyed. See, it's not a fatal blow. We are able to 
overthrow. We might be overthrown, but we are not overcome. Amen? I love that. We might be overtaken, but we are not overcome. Praise the Lord. And then look at it. He kind of goes to another level. How many know it should be getting better? Well, it does, but not yet. So look at what he said. Look at verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Wow. So if I could be, even when it looks like being subject to the point of death, in obedience to His grace working through my life, for the benefit of others. He won't leave me there. His life is also living in us. Amen? Amen. Paul says, yeah, we're carrying about his death, but also, why? That his life might be manifested in our bodies. How many times we read the testimony of Paul? There he is. It looks like he's at the point of death. Then the next thing you know, this treasure in his earthen vessel shines forth and life overcomes what looked like death. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now watch this. So then death is working in us Watch this next verse. What? But life in you. Wow. How many know we don't hear about Christianity like this today? Paul said, there's something happening in us that looks like it's producing death. But what is happening in us is God's grace is working through us in such a way that it looks like it's death in us, but it's producing life in you. If you want to experience the life and the power of God, then decide to have His grace work through you in a way that it'll bring life to others. Amen. Will it be without conflict? Absolutely not. Are you going to have to face giants? Absolutely. Joshua and Caleb are really cool guys. When you get over in Deuteronomy and you get where they're, I mean, into on in numbers and you get in there and they're possessing the land. I think it's about chapter 18. In fact, let me just look real quick. I think it's chapter 18. Keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back and look because this is so cool. Numbers 18, I believe. If my mind is what it should be. Maybe not. Deuteronomy 18, try that. Or, no, Joshua. It's one of them, hold on. Hey. That's the one for the tribes who hadn't done it, but I'm trying to... All right, give me one second. That's where the tribes were hanging around. He says, how long, number 18, would I want it? But he said, uh, give me one second. You doing all right? You going anywhere? All right, hold on one second. Is it 18 where Caleb asked for his mountain? Yes, and it's in Joshua. I know, yeah. 18 where? Uh, uh, 3. No. Oh, here it is. Okay, Joshua 14. 
and verse 6. Then the children of Israel, Judah, came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, said to him, You know the word the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word with him. Uh, word with him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for going out and for coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard that day how the Amakin were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. I shall be able to drive them out. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to, to Caleb, the son of Jethnu, as an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the, the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephnu, the Kenzanite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord. So he asked for the mountain of the giants. Because everybody else was afraid. So Caleb said, I want that mountain. You give me the mountain where the giants are, and I will go get them. So what is he? He's not afraid of the conflict. He's not afraid of the battle. And he knows that I've been given an inheritance, and in order to possess it, I'm going to have to run some giants off of my inheritance. Amen? I'm just praying for you tonight and trying to get this across to you. Paul said, you know what? I may have conflict, and there may be giants of persecution. It may feel like I'm perplexed. It may feel like I'm abandoned. It may feel like I'm overtaken. But you know what? The life of God, it may even feel like I'm dying daily, but the life of God is working on me. There's a treasure in this earthen vessel, and I'm able to finish it. Amen? Amen. When he says the bind, get this. He says this. He says uh, uh and then he does not die, though, when he says we carry about in our body. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We carry that in our body. Always carrying about the dying of the Lord. That we are delivered to death, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now watch that. He does not die because life is also, his life is also of Jesus, who now comes to his aid and he lives in the life of another until his life here, his work here is done. See, every one of us has a life work. There's something God's given us to do, part of his kingdom. We have a life work. And then when we're up against it, his life will always be working in us until our life work is finished. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. And the greatest way I know to do it is connecting with others and loving others and seeing this grace life come to them. Hallelujah. Look at verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life in you. In other words, grace working for the benefit of others. But since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that who raised up the Lord will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all these things are for your sakes, that grace, wow, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. See why? When we let this great power work through our earthen vessels, and we're not overcome by thinking on weakness, but dwelling on this great treasure, then this grace spreads to many. And God gets glory. Amen? To me, that's the most exciting. I just get amazed I don't know if you can even fathom that. God is saying, I choose the God of glory. The God of all glory says this. I choose to be glorified 
to receive glory by working my power through your life. Amen. Wow. Do you understand that invitation? That is amazing. God says to whoever will believe it, I will place this treasure in your earthen vessel. And every time it looks like you're being persecuted, you're being perplexed, you're being cast down, you're being overtaken, overrun, my grace and my power will show up. Amen. And you begin to think about this and you think of all the time. Paul began to, I can do all things. To, what? How? Through Christ who what? Strengthens me. How many know that's a summation of what we just read? Exactly. Paul's going through it and then he goes, and when he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, 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 can, I can be pressed. I can be persecuted. I can be abandoned. I can be overtaken. I can be at the point of death. And yet I can rise up victorious because Christ, His life is working in me. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But if I don't stay focused on that, then I just go back to looking at my vessel. I start thinking, yep, it's in this earthen vessel. And you know what? The older your clay gets, the more fragile it gets. That's right. Amen. And the older we get, the more we buy the lie. Instead of believing to see more power in old age, we start slowing down. Amen. Caleb said, I'm 85. I'm ready to kick some giant hiney. Yes, he was. That's what he said. Yep. He said, I'm 85. Give me some giants to kill. Give me the mountain with the biggest, baddest dudes in the land, and I'm going to go claim that as my inheritance. I'm not looking for an easy way out. I'm not looking for an excuse. I'm not looking to retire. I'm looking to refire. That's it. I'm going to go fire off on some giants. Anybody want to go with me? Amen. That's what he said. Let's go fire off on some giants. Let's go. Come on. And you give an inheritance of victory to your children. Amen. Amen. Now, as the adults at our church, that's what we should be showing our young people. What are we teaching our young people? What are we, the older are supposed to teach the younger. We should be teaching them Psalms 90. Keep, keep your finger there and turn over to me to Psalms 92. I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but maybe it's for me or maybe for somebody else. Actually, I take everything I say from me if it helps you. Glory to God. <laughs> Psalm 92. Verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. How did Caleb say? Caleb declared Psalm 92. He said, hey... I'm old, but I'm still strong. I'm able to flourish. I'm able to be fruitful. I'm able to possess. I'm standing on the promise of the Lord. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Are you doing all right? Luke chapter 1. Watch this. The key is, if I consider... The weakness of my vessel, my earthen vessel too much, I'll give up on the promise. Luke chapter 1 and verse 20 says this. The angel speaking to Zechariah. He says, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Till the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Wow. God said, my word will be fulfilled in its time. You know what the problem we have? Is if it was left up to us, we would pick all of our harvest green. Instead of when it's fully ripe. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 
And so sometimes while we're waiting, we get the promise and we see it and we just want it now and we'll run it. That's why he doesn't give, show us the whole bridge. He doesn't show us the whole path. He asks us to walk by faith and not by sight to allow his life to work in us so that when we get there, the fruit and the harvest is fully developed. We don't pick it prematurely. Amen? And every now and then I have a little apple tree in the backyard. Every now and then I go back because I can't tell when they're ripe or whatever. So every now and then I go back and I pick one and I eat it. And I guarantee you the ripe ones taste much better than the premature ones. Yeah. Amen. There's a little sour thing to do whatever. They're just they're nasty. So, and, uh, but anyway, fresh fruit tastes better. I mean, no, you can fry green tomatoes, but eating a red tomato is much better. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So you can figure out a way to eat premature picked fruit. But how many know eating something that's fully ripe is always better? And so while you're walking with God, grace allows us to stay at that place of peace and of rest in God. Instead of being concerned, because the minute things start happening around us, what Paul's talking about, we just start going back to leaning on our earthen vessel. And we forget about the treasure that's in it. Amen? Paul says, we have this treasure in this earthen vessel. Verse 45 says this, chapter, Luke 1, verse 45. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. See, that's God's word to you. Blessed are you when you believe. There will be a fulfillment of the things that he's spoken concerning you. Just hold on to it. Amen. Hold on to it. Hold on to the treasure that's in your vessel. Don't be upset. Don't be concerned because there's giants, because there's adversity, because there's conflict. Just hold on to the promise. Amen? Now go back to 2 Corinthians chapter five, 4, and we'll read these last few verses. Verse 15 again. For all these things are for your sake. I, I go back and I look at that. Look at Paul saying. Everything he read, all those five areas there. Hear it again. What amazing thing. Look what he says. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And always carrying about in the, in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested. And then go back to verse 15. All these things are for your sake. Paul said, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Paul, I made you a messenger. I'm sending you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And in going to do that and taking the message of salvation to the Gentiles, Paul experienced all those things. All those conflicts came for taking the message that others might hear and be saved. But in doing so, there's something he experienced that you'll never experience outside of embracing conflict. And that's the power of God's grace working in an amazing way. Amen? And a place where you can come in the middle of that. I, I keep going back to Philippians 16 when this gets down on the inside because you think, how can Paul make all these declarations of confidence in God and enduring through and pressing through and winning and overcoming and even being able in that Philippian jail to begin to praise his hand, have God show up. Because he understood that conflicts were a part of it. God said, hey, I'm, listen to what God said. I'm giving you a land that other people dwell in. And you're going to have to dispossess him. He said, I'm giving you a promise, but it's not going to come without a fight. You're going to have to be engaged in the battle, in the fight to possess it. And this walk that we have in Christ, there's a conflict to walking this thing out, to live in. We have an adversary. Isn't it amazing that Paul, the, the same Paul who's writing this, he teaches us on how to put on the whole armor of God. You don't need armor for peace. You need armor for war. That's what he said. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. And so we have weapons for warfare. In dealing with that, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the adversary. Amen. And we're fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of spiritual darkness and wickedness in high place. So there's an, a, a, a battle that we are in and there's conflict that we are, especially when you're trying to plunder the devil's camp 
and bring back. Hey, Ben, remember when Lot was taken and Abraham went and redeemed him? Fought to bring him back? When you go, you, you had to fight to bring back his kin. And so when we're fighting to rescue people who've been taken captive by the devil. Hey, Ben, there, there's a conflict that comes with that. Yeah, it's easy to go home and just watch Christian TV. And read your Bible and all your devotions. Listen to all the messages that make you feel good. Wow, that's so good. I just, I'm just getting so blessed. I'm just getting so blessed. I'm just getting so blessed. I'm so blessed. Yeah. Well, go out and start a fight. Go out and get in some conflict. That this benefit, that all this might be for somebody else's benefit. Amen? Wow. Now, let's finish it. Verses 16 and 17. Watch it. At all, verse 15. For all these things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not, what? Lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Because everything we just read about, Paul called his light affliction. For this, our light affliction is but for a moment. Wow. Is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen? Now listen. God has nothing worth having that is easy. There's nothing worth having in God that's easy. We, we just, it's just not easy. It's going to take a fight oh, yeah. to possess it. Amen. There's no cheap goods in heaven's market. Nothing cheap there. Your salvation, my salvation, costs God Everything he had. One person said salvation is free, but it is definitely not cheap. Amen? Do you understand that? It's, it's God's free gift to us, but it wasn't free to him. That's what's messed up with our political system today. There's nothing free. It co- anything free costs somebody something. So the free gift of salvation costs God his son. And so to give somebody free health care, free education, free this, free that, somebody, there's nothing free unless somebody pays for it. It just doesn't work that way. So there's nothing free or cheap in the heavenly market. Our redemption cost God all he had to give. Everything worth having is expensive. Amen. You know, the 99 cent store is cool if you just want some stuff you don't care about. You can go buy a lot of crap at the 99 cent store. For 10 bucks, you can get a lot of stuff. Amen. But it's nothing you want to hand down to anybody. Amen. It's nothing when your kids come over to your house. If you buy all your dishes and cups and plates at the 99 cent store, your kids aren't going to go, Hey, Mom and Dad, when you guys pass away, can I have your china? (laughs) Nobody's going to want to inherit your 99 cent store stuff. Amen. You know what they want? The stuff that costs a lot. The stuff that came at a price. The stuff that had value, that has real value. And only thing, the things worth having come at a price. And Paul's saying, hey, God's given us this great opportunity to live for him, to walk with him. And he puts this amazing treasure, but he puts it in earthen vessels. But keep your eye off the vessel and you're focused on the treasure. Amen. And you'll make it through every time. Amen. One person said this. The hard place is the school of faith. Amen. Not the easy place. You don't learn faith in the easy place. You learn faith in the hard place. You walk through it. And new life is birth through travail. I don't care. Somebody said, man, I just had the easiest time of childbirth. There's nothing easy about childbirth. Even a good one wasn't easy. Could I get an amen from the ladies? 
Amen. And then how long do you have to carry that child? Too long. A long time. Just be glad you're not an elephant. Hallelujah. Two years. Amen. Aren't you glad pregnancy doesn't take two years, ladies? <laughs> Amen. But still, the travail of birth. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, my dear children, for whom I travail in prayer for you as a woman in the throes of childbirth, I'm praying for you until Christ is fully formed in you. Because new birth, new life doesn't come forth without trial, without travail, without pressing through. Amen? And God's graced you to live this great new life in Him. And He's done it in such a way that you can lay hold of that and walk in that assurance and then be able to give your life over to Him to live through you so the grace you've received will come to somebody else. Isn't that awesome? And then He will get glory through your life. I'm telling you, that still amazes me. I've lived my whole life being amazed by that for Christ. That He would want to get glory through my life. Every one of you. I hope you take that away tonight. If you get nothing else out of this little message. God chooses to be glorified through your life. That the God who created everything, all the splendor, all the wonder, all the magnificence we see, has chosen to receive glory through your life. Wow. That people would see Him through you. That is crazy. Amen? Amen. What an amazing invitation from the Creator that He desires to be glorified through your life. Amen. Eli, go ahead and put that music on. How about you do something? Do something brand new. I want you to get two or three people and just get together and just pray for one another. Pray strength and pray peace over one another. Every one of us has this treasure in an earthen vessel. And you might be here tonight and we pray in group, we pray up here. But we don't always take time just to group up and pray one for another. But the Bible says pray for one another that you might be healed. And so tonight we've just found out that God's given us each this amazing treasure in an earthen vessel. Get in a group of three or four and just begin to pray. You don't have to know all about their intimate needs. Or but you can pray strength. You can pray God's grace. You can pray His favor. You can pray His life over them. Amen? Would you do that? I push you way out of your comfort zone. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just find a couple people. Hook up with somebody. You could pray for somebody. Amen. You never learn. Little Leah. Leah went to uh, Haiti with us. And we get there, and she had to pray out loud. And she had never prayed before out loud with anybody. She began praying, and God began doing a real work in her life. Tonight, you can have a breakthrough right here. Just get a few people to pray together. Amen. Hallelujah. There you go. Look at that. Praying one with another. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. 